1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18. Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. This is the word of God. Let's pray and uh, we'll look at God's word together. Father, we long to start this year as those who love your word, who see its light shining into the darkness of this world, who Uh, have our path lit by it because we know that your word is trustworthy and true. It is unique. There is no other source of true eternal wisdom that we can entirely trust with every breath that we take and every step that we take. Father, we pray that you'd give us that trust this evening as we look at these passages together. Help us, Father, to love your words and to live by them. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Commission Sunday, as Phil said, is a chance uh, for ministers to, to swap around a little bit. Uh, Simon Dixon has gone down to Christchurch Ballum, where I'm currently uh, the minister, one of the ministers, and uh, he, he'll be speaking to a little crowd in a, a ballroom in a pub. So a little bit different uh, to here, uh, but it is great to be back. I love the new toilets. I uh, <laughs> Phil on drums. Great stuff. Well done. Um, good. Uh, eternity. Now, I'm very aware as we, as we talk about this uh, topic of eternity that I'm speaking to the church that are the experts on eternity. Your strapline, as we've heard a number of times tonight, living now for eternity. Uh, so I'm sure you recite those words every 10 minutes and uh, they are burnt into your, your thinking. Uh, you're constantly driven by them. I, I never had any difficulty living for eternity until I moved on from CCM. So uh, I was trying to work out what I could teach the church that knows everything about living for eternity. Um, a few weeks back, we were at the end of uh, a series in the book of Daniel. And we got to uh, the last chapter of Daniel, chapter 12. Uh, don't worry about turning to it. Um, and these words come up in the end of Daniel. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. An extraordinary 
glimpse in the middle of the Old Testament where there are not many glimpses yet before Jesus of eternity, of what happens after death, of what is more than this life that we lead. Now, in our church, there is this fantastic chap who, um, who asks the best questions. Um, I'm sure you know a few people who ask the really good questions. Uh, this guy, um, he's the one who asks the really deep questions, the, one, the, the questions that most people are afraid to ask, but most people are thinking them and feeling them. And very often when he asks this question, everybody else goes, yeah, 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 that's what I'd like to have answered. Um, be, be one of those people, by the way. They are very, very, very useful. And this, um, this friend of mine, at the end of that sermon said, look, here's my problem. How do I know eternity is true? How do I know that eternal life is really going to happen? It's so hard to imagine. I, I just can't conceive of it. It's beyond my experience. It, it, it doesn't seem to touch my world in any sort of way. It's intangible. And I just go through most of life not feeling sure that it's going to happen that eternal life will really, really happen. Now, it's true. The promises of eternal life in the Bible to Christians who trust in Jesus are extraordinary promises. We looked at uh, Isaiah 25 earlier tonight. Uh, uh, On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wines, the best of meats and the finest of wines. Speaking about a, a great feast at the end of time where God's people who've trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ will gather and and get ready for what is to come. Uh, The next verse, verse 7, says, On this mountain he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers up all nations. He will swallow up death forever. So there's going to be an existence, beginning with that great feast, where there is no more death. Forever. 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 Those who are there will never die. It goes on, the sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He'll remove the disgrace of his people from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. You could add into that all the promises of the Bible that that describe that in greater detail. The the glorious new creation with perfect bodies gathered around uh, the throne of God uh, where we will live uh, experiencing uh, nothing of the pain and the, sa- the, the sorrow and the sadness that so often afflicts this world. You could add up a million things from the news in 2015 that count as pain and sorrow and sadness. Perhaps you could add in a load of things from your life or the lives of people you know that are pain and sorrow and sadness. There's a promise in the Bible, throughout the Bible, that Jesus can take us to a place where there's none of that. And it's wonderful forever. No wonder it's hard to imagine. No wonder it's hard for us to conceive of it when our life here is so different. Uh, And if it's true that eternal life is real, then nothing Jesus could ask of us in this life could be too much. But if we're not sure if it's true, then we're going to struggle. In 2016, I don't know what God is going to ask of you in 2016. As you hear sermons from here week by week, as you look at the Bible for yourself or discuss it with friends week by week, I don't don't know which passages you'll look at, what God will ask of you. He might ask you to do painfully costly things with your money or your time or your energy. He might ask you 
to not say yes to a relationship or to sex that you would desperately like to have. He might ask you to suffer in certain ways for being a Christian. You're not going to want to do that stuff to obey him if you don't feel certain that eternity is real. If you're doubting the reality of eternal life, that'll mess with our priorities big time. It'll mess with our assurance. It'll mess with our attitude to death, our own death, the death of others. It'll mess with how much we value our relationship with God. If we're not sure where we're going, why would we be particularly concerned about it now? It'll certainly mess with any attempts that we might have to tell others about Jesus Christ. You might be here wondering, what is this hope that Christians have if you're looking into it? Uh, What is this eternal life? Is it it just a a pipe dream, a fantasy? This is really, really important. This is why the questions that my friend expresses are very, very good. Now, before we get into uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, this is going to be a slightly different sermon, a bit more topical, looking at a couple of places in the Bible. Here are some of the ways that we try to assure ourselves about uh, eternal life that are basically dead ends. We try experience. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if you've ever done that. When, I, when I'm wondering if eternal life is real, I, I stop and I, I sort of think, and I, I wonder if I feel as if it's real. It's a bit of a silly way of doing it, but we, we try that. Have I experienced anything that tells me definitely that eternal life is not the end? It feels like um, uh, death isn't the end, maybe, if you, if you feel that way. It feels wrong that death might be the end for some people. It feels like people we've lost must still be out there somewhere. And every culture uh, seems to mark death in some way as if it were not the end. But where's the proof? Those experiences can't, can't give us proof. Actually, experiences can sometimes take us in the opposite direction. Maybe you feel nothing about whether there's eternal life after death. Maybe... Um, you feel more a sense of fear or foreboding or just resignation. Feelings can't tell us if eternal life is real. Have you come across uh, all the people that uh, love to talk about their near-death experiences, lying there on the, on the hospital bed? Uh, there are, it is a massive industry of book after book after book. I, I discovered that there's um, heaven tourism books. Apparently it's a whole genre of books, people that talk about their experiences of going to heaven and seeing it a bit and then coming back, revived in their hospital bed. I think there's a few hell tourism books as well, a slightly smaller category. Um, but loads of out-of-body experiences where people say they saw things that they couldn't have seen otherwise. And, and many Christians grasp onto those. I don't know if you've come across um, the jellyfish man. He's uh, made quite a name for himself in Christian circles, talking about his experiences of apparently seeing lots of things when uh, he'd been bitten by jellyfish and, and died, or nearly died, and then came back. But, but what does that really assure us of? We're relying on other people's experiences. We're relying on those experiences not being just fantasies or dreams or things that happened uh, while the brain was in its last moments. How do we know? It doesn't give us anything to, to rest on. Uh, some people try experiments. Some people have taken those... Um, those near-death experiences, and tried to be scientific about it. And in, uh, uh, have you seen the, the, the film Flatliners? It's quite old now. Uh, 
Julia Roberts and Kiefer Sutherland as medical students. That shows you how old the film is. But they, they thought it would be fun to, um, to try deliberately stopping each other's hearts for a bit to see if they could induce these near-death experiences and then deduct something, uh, deduce something about what, what comes after death. Uh, I don't think they, uh, they particularly got anywhere. Uh, there was a study in 2014, uh, loudly proclaimed by the Metro, so that must be right, that um, uh, of people that are declared clinically dead and then revived in a hospital, 39% have some sort of experience of something after being on their bed. But again, uh, that doesn't take us very far. The NHS, the NHS felt as if it had to combat the Metro on this, and they put an article up on the NHS website saying that, uh, no, this is, this is just the, the, the last imaginations of the brain while it's uh, on the bed. So we don't get very far with that. Some people are more inclined to try philosophy, arguing backwards and forwards about definitions, like what is life? What is eternity? What would it mean to live for eternity? And you just get lost in the definitions and you don't get anywhere with that either. Um, Some in this room, I'm sure, would think about eternity in mathematical terms. Um, uh, You get lost thinking about it as infinity. What is infinity? Is it real? Does infinity ever exist? Uh, Don't think of uh, God's heavenly, eternal realm as mathematical infinity, just an extension of space and time. It's not that. God exists beyond all of the the space and time that we have. You're going to have to add dimensions if that's your your way of thinking. Okay, come back if that set you off on an unhealthy trajectory or you uh, didn't relate to any of that. Um, We've got to answer this question. There are so many false routes by which we could try to convince ourselves that there is life after death. But what if we just still feel, I, I just, it feels alien. I'm just not sure if it's true. And when my friend asked his question in church, the passage that came to my mind was 1 Thessalonians 4. And uh, if you're away from it in your Bibles, do turn back. 1 Thessalonians 4. It's on page 1188. Mostly, 1 Thessalonians is a very exciting, very joyful letter. Uh, Paul had been to Thessalonica briefly, uh, but it had turned out terribly. There'd been persecution. Paul had been kicked out. Uh, a few people had become Christians, but they seemed to have been persecuted, thrown into jail. Paul, a long way from Thessalonica, thought, well, that's probably it. I'm not sure if there's any Christians left there. Uh, but sent Timothy back to sea. Timothy comes back to Paul with a brilliant report. There are Christians. They're doing really, really well. They are living for Jesus. They're, they're facing persecution and, and not ducking it. Uh, they're telling others about Jesus. This is brilliant. And most of the letter is, is, is very, very exciting, encouraging uh, stuff from Paul about how well the Thessalonians are doing. He keeps saying, uh, you know this, you know this, you know this, you're getting it right. But there's one thing in the letter that they don't know or don't seem to be sure of. So after all the times Paul has said, you know, you know, you know, Paul suddenly says in chapter 4, verse 13, Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or who grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. This is the one thing the Thessalonians are wobbling on. They're not sure about eternal life. They're afraid of death. Some of the Christians there have died. 
maybe through persecution, uh, maybe through uh, normal uh, illnesses and aging and accidents and so on. And the church is worried. They don't know what to think. What has happened to those people? Where have they gone? Have they just been swallowed up by some dark uh, spiritual end? Have they uh, been annihilated? And Paul says he he doesn't want them to, to grieve with no hope. That's what he says in verse 13. I don't want you to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. Now, it's very interesting, I think, that Paul said that about that culture back then. Because if Paul was commenting on our culture now, I think it's understandable that he might say, yeah, you're, you're a very secular culture. There's not much belief in things outside the realm of detectable uh, space and time. Uh, there's no hope for life after death in your society. I, I'd understand it if Paul said that about 21st century London. But Paul's talking about ancient Greece 2,000 years ago, where there were gods and religions law. You would think that amongst that pantheon of Greek gods, Roman gods, and so on, there'd be some answers, something to help people a little bit, with a bit of hope in the face of death, rather than just hopeless grief. But it seems like those religions didn't do anybody any good. All those philosophies and religions of the ancient world, the the gods, the pagan pagan gods of Europe and Africa and Asia, all were filtering in uh, to ancient Greece at the time. Uh, They captured people's interest and their activity during their lives, but it seems as if they offered no solid hope after death. Nothing to cling on to if you're worried. Paul says that, that that's the rest of the culture around the Thessalonians, but the Thessalonians were feeling the same. Now, they were very young Christians. Paul had only been there for a little while. Perhaps he hadn't said as much as he would normally say about eternity. Although, you can't really talk much about the Christian message without talking about eternal life. So I can't believe Paul didn't say anything about that. Maybe their problem wasn't necessarily immaturity so much as normal Christian worry and doubt. You don't have to be a a young or immature Christian to have doubts about eternal life. Uh, Many of us in this room will have lived long enough to see people around us meet their death. Uh, I've lived long enough to see a number of friends and family die. And that puts the question before us very, very vividly and emotionally. I was at my parents' church last Sunday, Sunday after Christmas, and uh, the service began with a couple of sad announcements about people connected with the congregation who had died the previous week. That is normal life. We're somewhat inoculated against it in churches like ours, where many of us are are relatively young. But when you know the person, it it does suddenly become very, very pressing. Uh, My uh, uh, grandma died when I was about 30, Many of you will have been through that. I'd I'd been a Christian all my life, so had she. Uh, But when I took that phone call at about five in the morning to hear that that she'd died in the night, uh, through the kind of half-awake tears, um, I I felt that Thessalonian question very, very, very personally and emotionally. I felt a huge fear. My grandmother had trusted in Jesus very firmly 
throughout her life. But I suddenly thought, what, what if there's no hope? What, what if that's just an illusion? What if death is the end and there's nothing afterwards? And trusting Jesus had been in vain. I, I had no rational reason to suddenly doubt uh, the, the existence of eternal life. But emotionally, as it hit me, it just felt hopeless. I was desperate for something, scientific proof, experience, all those things we've talked about. But for a while, for a while there was just this kind of dark void of ignorance and worry and fear, just like for the Thessalonians. And maybe you have that worry, that fear, that void at times. Maybe it occasionally comes up for you. Maybe it's been brought up by a particular uh, bereavement. Maybe, maybe it plagues you. Maybe you, you, you're awake at night at times, often worrying about this. Is eternal life just our imagination? And uh, as it happens, the night that I was grieving for my, my grandmother, I'd taught 1 Thessalonians 4 quite recently before that. And the words were fresh in my mind. And I was able to remember what Paul had to say about how we know eternal life is really true. And um, for the rest of this sermon... I. I really just want to point to two words of Paul's answer in 1 Thessalonians 4. They're words that I've really come to love over the years. But they're probably not the words you expect me to point you to. Uh, These are my favorite words in this passage. They are the words, and so. Uh, I told you they uh, initially are a little bit uh, unprepossessing. But um, uh, they come up in verse 14. Have a look down at verse 14. Let me read that for you. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring, us, bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Now look at the verse. Look at those two words, and so. See if you can figure out why they are so significant. Look at what comes before those words, and so. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. Look at what comes after those words, and so. (laughs) We believe that God will bring with Jesus those who've fallen asleep in him, the the, the Christians who've died. And actually all the rest of Paul's explanation follows from that. See, when Paul says we believe that Jesus died and rose again, if, if you're a Christian, you believe that. He's not telling the Thessalonians anything they're uncertain on at that point. Jesus' death and resurrection is the most central, most crucial fact of the gospel. If Jesus died and rose again, then it's all true, all of it. The whole of Christianity hangs on those central events in Scripture. If it is true that Jesus died and rose again, then there is a God. He came to earth as Jesus. He died. He rose for your sins. Uh, He's coming back. He's going to judge us. Uh, He'll raise us all, some to everlasting life, some to everlasting contempt. Just like Daniel says, all of that stuff is true if Jesus died and rose again from the dead. Makes no sense for some of that stuff to not be true if Jesus died and rose again. If you're a a skeptic, interested observer, you're trying to work out why Christians believe what what they believe, let me encourage you to focus your inquiries on that point. Did Jesus die and rise from the dead? 
Because if he did, everything follows from that. Jesus is really God, come to, to save you if you'll say yes. And, and if you do, there is eternal life for the waiting. And if we're Christians, how can we be sure that we'll have eternal life? It's so incredibly simple. It's those two words. It's look at Jesus. And so, <laughs> we will rise. If he died and rose again, and you're trusting in him, then his resurrection is the guarantee of ours. So if you want to be sure in 2016 of life after death, don't spend your time contemplating your own resurrection, trying to think about it, trying to imagine it, trying to work out if it's going to happen or not. Separate from Jesus' resurrection. As we've seen, anything you come up with scientifically, experientially and so on will be uncertain at best. Don't Spend time contemplating your own resurrection. Contemplate Jesus and his death and resurrection. And when we do that, all of the things that Paul then describes in these next verses will become real and believable for us. Uh, We won't look at them in detail tonight. Uh, Paul goes into great detail about how Jesus will bring the dead back with him when he returns. There'll be a loud command and the voice of an angel and a great trumpet call and our, our bodies will be remade and united with our spirits. And finally, those fantastic words that he uh, nearly finishes with in verse 17. We will be with the Lord forever. All of that hangs on those words, and so. If Jesus died and rose again, all of that is true. So if you want to go through 2016 convinced of eternity, equipped now to live for eternity then this is what what we must do over and over and over again. Look at Jesus. Over and over and over again, refresh your heart with the truths about him that will make you confident of your own eternal life. See, when people go through doubts, they often do the opposite of that. Instead of looking at Jesus and seeking the assurance that can only come from him, uh, many times when, when you, you catch up with someone who hasn't been in church for a while uh, and they tell you, I, I, I'm working through my doubts at the moment. Um, well, okay, d- doubts are, are, are normal. Working through them is a, a good thing. But if you try to work through doubts away from Jesus, away from church, away from time in the Bible, there's only really one likely outcome. You'll probably end up less and less and less convinced because you'll be relying on feelings. Do I feel as if it's true? Is there any scientific proof that it's true? You'll just come up empty. And the probable outcome is is drifting away. I say that's probable. The Holy Spirit can do anything. And God is very, very kind. Sometimes someone who's wandering away uh, gets... uh, inexplicable longings to go back to church, to re-explore Jesus. That is God's kindness to you. But don't risk that. Don't assume that that will happen one day. Take responsibility to look at Jesus for yourself. I want to leave you with um, three questions you can ask yourself. Uh, Slightly odd little self-diagnosis questions if you're doubting the reality of eternal life. Um, you can do a, a sort of uh, stiff interview with yourself, ask these questions, do a Jeremy Paxman, do the kind of, and then ask the question. Um, 
and they're funny little things. Do I believe in, G- in, in Christmas? Do I believe in Jesus' miracles, secondly? And do I believe in Easter, thirdly? Those three things. Do I believe in Christmas? Do I believe in Jesus' miracles? And do I believe in Easter? Christmas, the first one. We've just spent a month thinking about Christmas. Um, I, I don't know what's, um, which passages you've looked at here. Have you connected Christmas in your head with eternity? What is Christmas? It's, it's the coming of God into our world in the person of Jesus. His name, Emmanuel, means that, God with us. So think about that. God who always existed in eternity, outside time and space, came into the universe that he'd created. We spend a lot of time rightly thinking about where Jesus came to at Christmas, but not a lot thinking about where he came from. If you think about where he came from, then that brings eternity into the picture. John's Gospel is a place in the Bible that takes us there big time, over and over again. Uh, Jesus talking to the religious leader Nicodemus says, I speak of heavenly things. No one has ever gone to heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. In other words, Jesus is uniquely qualified to teach Nicodemus and all of us about heaven, about eternity, because that's where he came from. A couple of chapters later, Jesus tells the crowds, I've come down from heaven to do the will of him who sent me. And when they argue with him about that and say that, that doesn't sound right. Um, he says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. So Jesus is starting to connect his origins in heaven with our future. Where he came from is where we can go if we put our trust in him. And in John 17, when Jesus prays, he says to the Father, Now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. When Jesus went back to heaven via the cross, he was going back to where he came from. So ask yourself, if you're doubting eternal life, let me just remind myself, do I believe in Christmas? Do I believe what happened there, that Jesus was God and entered our world? Because if you do, you believe in the existence of eternity. The realm of God beyond this universe where Jesus came from and where he returned to. Second question to ask yourself, do I believe in Jesus' miracles? Maybe it um, sometimes feels a little bit too far-fetched to you that um, in the future, uh, whoever knows uh, the end of the world, Judgment Day, that Jesus could put your body back together in whatever state it's in by then. Uh, after it's rotted a few thousand years or whatever that might be. Even perhaps some of you might be thinking it would be amazing to put it back together right now with uh, all of the uh, imperfections and problems with it. Jesus, um, Jesus proved that he could do that. Read the Gospels, you see the miracles. Jesus opened the eyes of the blind, he unblocked the ears of the deaf, he healed withered hands and uh, uh, paralyzed spines, he at one point in Matthew 4, did so many healings in one part of Galilee that all of the sick in the whole region were healed. Just think, imagine that. Imagine that place. Living in a place where nobody is ill at all. Perfect health. I don't know how Jeremy Hunt would deal with that. Um, he realized he would, 
he could just close the NHS. I don't know what um, his response would be. Um, if, if, the, if the remaking of your body seems like a, an impossible, outlandish thing for Jesus to do after your death, read the Gospels. See Jesus in action. See what he can do. See that he can raise the dead. John 11, Jesus raises a man called Lazarus after he's been buried for four days. And then talking to Lazarus's sister, uh, Martha, Jesus says this, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. And Jesus says, do you believe this? Do we believe what Jesus' miracles say to us? That the promises of resurrection life at the end of time are not impossible, not outlandish, not beyond the power of the Lord Jesus to do. He can remake your body, make it perfect, make it ready for eternity with him. Do you believe in Christmas? Do you believe in Jesus' miracles? Lastly, do you believe in Easter? Now, this is the linchpin of Paul's argument in 1 Thessalonians 4, as we've seen. Easter, of course, is the celebration of Jesus' resurrection from the dead. And uh, as Paul puts it there, verse 13, we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe in all of the rest that follows. Our resurrection, heaven, hell, the new creation, eternity with God. You guys have been in the book of uh, 1 Corinthians last term for your sermons. Here's a a sneak preview of chapter 15. Um, Just to briefly turn there. Uh, Let me find a page number for you. Let's go to page 1156. Corinth was another church doubting the future resurrection. And uh, Paul puts it more strongly to them. They had a little bit more uh, uh, reason to know better than the Thessalonian church. Um, But here's what uh, Paul says to them. Let's pick it up in verse 17. Paul says, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we're to be pitied more than all men. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Essentially, Paul is saying, without Easter, without the resurrection of Jesus, the Christian faith is worse than useless. There's no eternal life for any of us. But Easter is true. Jesus rose from the dead, and so all of the promises of eternal life are true. And so these are the kind of things we can say to one another. Uh, Glance forward in the same chapter, 1 Corinthians 15, to verse uh, 51. I'm just going to read these, because these are glorious words of encouragement to us. Paul says, listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But, thanks be to God, he gives us the victory 
through our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, it is Jesus looking at him where you see the victory over death that can assure us of our uh, future eternal life. So as you uh, face the beginning of 2016, um, what if you went through this year absolutely confident of the defeat of death in Jesus Christ? How would that affect your life, your decision-making? be wonderfully liberating for all of those hard decisions I talked about at the beginning. Paul puts it like this in verse 58. He says, Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. In other words, there's absolutely no reason in the world why you should be any less of a Christian in 12 months' time than you are now because he's given you eternal life. There's every reason to trust Jesus more and more. And, as he goes on to say, uh, to give ourselves fully to the work of the Lord because we know that our labour in the Lord is not in vain. This year, whatever uh, the Lord demands of us in terms of energy or time or sacrifice, it isn't too much. It couldn't be because eternity awaits and that outweighs everything. Do you believe that? I'm talking to myself as much as I'm talking to you. Do we believe that eternity can be ours because Jesus rose from the dead and that outweighs every cost we could face in the Christian walk. Live by that in 2016. If you want to live now for eternity, and I take it you do as a church, make these things part of your thinking, your conversation. Talk about heaven. Talk about eternity. And talk about Jesus' death and resurrection that makes all of it absolutely certain. Father, forgive us for often being so taken up with the things of this world, the experiences of here and now, the tangible realities around us, that we, we lose our grip on the certainty that we can have in Christ of the eternal future that awaits those who trust in him. Please help us this year. May 2016 be a year where Christ Church Mayfair lives for eternity because of an absolutely unshakable trust in the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ that guarantees our future. Father, we pray that that will impact every decision we make. Help us to live for you because we're not uncertain. We're not wavering. We're sure. Thank you for Jesus. Amen.